0: you're listening to a central church podcast of a monumental kind look at verse 10 with me together it says this in that day the root of jesse now that's strange because he just said that the uh, that the shoot from jesse would come and now he says the root of jesse will stand as a benefit for the people the nations will rally to him And his resting place will be glorious. So, what we have here is a contradiction of terms, apparently. What he's saying is that there's going to come one who's going to bring an incredible transformation, and this one will come from the lineage of Jesse. And then, just a few verses later, he says Jesse came from this one. (laughs) So, which is it? I mean, can my great, 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 great grandfather. Be my child. That's in essence what that's just said. What that gives us some insight into is that the one who came, the one who was the source of all life, including Jesse, the one whom Jesse became the source of his life was both God and man. What he's talking about here is the eternal existent son of God that existed before the world was ever created. He was the source of the world. He was the source of Jesse. Would come back to the world, would, would enter the world, I should say, in, a, in, in physical, uh, the kind of as a man, and this would be the descendant of Jesse. So what seems here to be a contradiction of terms is an actual fact, a profound declaration that Jesus was a miracle, that God, born of a virgin, the one who created the world, came into the story of humanity, God in a body. This is, this is mind-blowing, folks. I and mean, we we kind of go, oh, yeah, ho hum. But no, this is mind-blowing, that God would come to the world in human form isaiah gives us one of the clearest indicators of this we see that christmas is a miracle divine power coming in an earthly experience did you know you may not be aware of this but about a hundred years or so ago um there was a a lot of discussion in the christian church worldwide that if the if the faith is going to exist into the future into the next uh millennia that what we have to do is, is because science is becoming so prevalent and so powerful if we can't explain it scientifically we have to take it out of the story of the bible and so the thought was that we we have to kind of turn our back or try to explain miracles away and extract from what would be our holy scriptures if you will extract from that ethical principles a moral framework and this is how we are to live but let's just not get too excited about the miracles because science shows us now how things happen and now we we know a lot more than we used to sure let's love one another let's take the ideas of human um uh, dignity but let's leave aside the bodily resurrection let's not worry about the virgin birth because we're entering into an age of enlightenment. If we're going to have any smart people come to our church, we're going to have to get rid of virgin birth, bodily resurrection, miracles. Let's get rid of those thoughts, and let's just stick with the moral and ethical principles that Jesus gives us. And, and this was a, a strong thought that existed about 100 years ago. Now, interestingly, we now have the benefit of hindsight. We stand about 100 years since that time, And what do we see? We see those schools that adopted that train of thought either non-existent or close to non-existent. During those 100 years, we see the Christian faith in Africa go from 5% to almost 50%. In um, South Korea, to go from virtually 0 to 40%. And a similar thing happening as we speak now in China, And strangely enough, a similar thing happening in parts of the Middle East. And what do we see? In all those areas where there's been an incredible explosion of Christianity, it's always been a supernatural faith. You see, if you take the supernatural out of our faith, you have nothing more than a self-improvement doctrine. And if this is nothing more than self-improvement, you have to know that you might get away with that amongst the rich people of the world, but but, but amongst the poor and the struggling and the war-torn, if there ain't no supernatural that is thing called Christianity, then there ain't no people. We are a supernatural people. We serve a supernatural God. And Jesus coming brought supernatural power to the world. We had the God man walk among us. But listen, he goes on and says this. In fact, what he does now, as he starts to, as he continues the right Isaiah, is he gives us some insight into the culture that manifests this power. So if you want to build this kind of culture in your home, you want to lean in because he now talks about the kind of environments that build the release, the the possibility for the release of this supernatural power. So let's look and, and see what he says. He says, The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, power, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of... The Lord. Clearly, we could camp out on that verse for the rest of the morning, but 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 I want to make just a, a few observations. Firstly, that wisdom is very much linked to power, but it's not it's not earthly wisdom; it's godly wisdom. How many know that Christmas? There's a whole bunch about wisdom at Christmas time. As a matter of fact, um, a bunch of people who visited the birth of Christ they were the wise men. What's with the wise men? Why have wise men come to visit the newly born? Messiah? Why wise men? I mean, why not politicians? Why not uh, military leaders? Why do we have shepherds? We spoke about the shepherds last week. And why do we have wise men? Last week we saw that shepherds were uh, social outcasts and pretty much ignorant, uneducated. And then we have the other end coming now. We have the wise men. They had social cachet. They thought nothing to drop in on the king when they arrived to town. They just lost in on Herod and said, this is what we're here for. Uh, they brought frankincense and th- these guys were well healed. They had social currency and clearly they were wise men. <laughs> so why the wise men? You, you must understand the wise men is central to the Christmas story and essential central for a really important reason. is that the wisdom of this world turns up and bows before the wisdom of God. <laughs> now, now it, it doesn't make any sense because the wisdom of God is an affront to the wisdom of this world. The, the, the wisdom of God, quite frankly, is a violation of the wisdom of this world. Uh, in fact, he goes on, he says in the next verse, he, he, kind of, he kind of makes this point clear where he says this, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. Uh, He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes, nor decide by what he hears with his ears. Now, how many know that's how science functions, right? The wisdom of this world. How did you derive the wisdom that you have of this world? Pretty much, you derived it from what you had read, from what you have seen with your eyes, or what you have heard with your ears, right? That's how you have pretty much defined your wisdom. And yet, what we see here, the wisdom of God, is not defined by what we see with our eyes and hear with our ears. There's something more profound going on here. I want to suggest to you there's something at a spiritual level. There's something supernatural. There's some things that you can only understand and embrace in your heart. And that is contrary to the... How many know... That this world loves to laugh at Christians and uh a quite a, a casual observance really of the social prophets today, and, and you see people mocking Christianity, they mock the faith that you and I are a part of. They pay some kind of lip service to the moral teachings of Jesus, sure. But they they are quick to condemn, they are quick to undermine and, and, and make us look stupid. And the truth is, folks, the truth is nobody likes to look stupid you struggle with looking stupid i don't like to look stupid you've gone to some extraordinary lengths at times to seem calm cool collected and in control even when you're not you try to look clever when you have no idea what's going on how many of you in it could remember back to a time when you were in a school room or a classroom or something, and you didn't ask the question because you knew you should know the answer, and you didn't want to look stupid? Nobody wants to look stupid, but the problem we have, and this is the this is the conundrum here, really, the problem we have is that the wisdom of God, right, uh, the, the the wisdom that leads to power is at odds with is a violation from uh to the the wisdom of this world take for example and we could we could throw a bunch of examples around but 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 let's just say for example success right everybody wants to be successful you want to be successful no i've never met a person who doesn't want to be successful so imagine there's a meeting in heaven right a strategic planning meeting just before jesus comes to the earth jesus wants to be successful in his mission to planet earth so he gets a group of angels together i'm sure this didn't happen but it carries the point right he gets a group of angels together and they say okay you know stephen covey says begin with the end in mind we know that so what is what what's the end game here jesus what do we hope to achieve well he says in 2000 years i want everybody on the planet to pretty much know my name okay let's write that down 2000 years everybody knows who he is Okay, in the, yeah, yeah, in two thousand years, I want pretty much twenty five percent of the world 's population to live their life with their eyes on me okay twenty five percent of the world 's population okay there 'd be billions of people in, in two thousand years time it is a big ass, jesus but we 'll write it down. What else do you want well i 'm kind of hoping that Uh, my teaching will be seen in the future as the single most important body of thought ever taught in the history of the world okay that's a big one (laughs) write that one down what else jesus well i really hope that what i say becomes the foundation stone of at least three different civilizations into the future of humanity wow that's a big one write that one down okay so how many know what we have here this is that that, that's a that's a real b-hag you know what a b-hag is a big hairy audacious goal right i mean they are some big hairy audacious goals right there so that's where we want to be we haven't come yet so what's the strategy what do we do to have that level of incredible success well when you get to heaven i should say when you get to earth jesus make sure that you're born in a small village and keep right away from the centers of power on the earth in fact don't network with any economic social political or academic circles of power stay right away from them in fact don't even really have anything to do with anybody who occupies those networks And just as you're getting to the pinnacle of your career, try to get executed in disgrace. (laughs) I reckon if you can pull that stuff off, you should be able to get to where you want to go. I mean, it's nonsense, right? It's absolute foolishness. But it shows to you the foolishness of God in the concept of the wisdom of this world. The highest heavens couldn't contain Him, but Mary's womb could. This is why this is why this christian this this christmas thing is such a breaker of the categories you see the people of this world they understand two kinds of religion basically there's a the religion of wrath right where you've got the commandments you've got the law and you've got to keep the law and if you keep the law you'll make it at a good place and if you don't keep the law you don't do enough good things you'll finish up in the bad place now we're not quite sure how much good you got to do to get to the good place you know, we're pretty sure Mother Teresa's in the good place and we're pretty sure Adolf Hitler's in the bad place and the rest of us come somewhere on this continuum. Maybe God grades according to the bell curve and I just hope I'm in the front half, right? Like, like I, think, I think I'm okay. If I get asked, I could put up a pretty good argument for my life. I've tried to do the, the right thing, you know. Now, now, the truth is, I haven't kept my own law, leave alone God's law, right? Anyone ever got a speeding ticket? Don't put your hands up. Uh, anybody ever gone on a diet and, and, and didn't, you know, keep what they said they were going to do? But we don't even keep our own principles. That's the point. We don't even keep our own law, leave alone God's. But nevertheless, we try to justify it away and think, well, I'm not as bad as my brother. I'm not as bad as my boss. He'll probably finish up in the bad place, but I think I'll get to the good place. Pretty much this world understands the religion of wrath and they understand the religion of love. And that is, hey, unicorns and rainbows, God is love. You're accepted. We're all accepted. God just loves whatever you think. It doesn't matter. Whatever you do, it doesn't matter. You just do what's good for you. You just do what you just believe in yourself. Be true to yourself. And that's, you know, that's the way God made us. And the problem with both these two schools of religion is that they're both based on the self. It's all about what I believe, it's all about all what I can do. There's not a lot of help there from any interventionist God. Uh, but what we have here today is this Christmas, God is not just one more religious founder or prophet to tell us how to get our stuff together. He's just not come to point us in the direction we should live He has come to lift the heavy burdens and the loads from us so that we might be able to do it. What he did was he came to satisfy the religion of wrath with the religion of love, right? He came and his love laid down his own life to satisfy the wrath or to satisfy the judgment or to satisfy uh, uh, the level of God. Now, to this world, that seems foolishness. And in the culture that exalts itself, To acknowledge that this is not about me, that that I can't do this, is almost sacrosanct. it, it, It almost, you know, is beyond imaginable. That's why they speak so harshly and so demeaningly about the faith that many of us in this room hold very dear. But even if you're here and you're not a Christian, I reckon you'd at least appreciate this. Think about what has caused the most pain and suffering in your life and it's been for the most part the lack of humility it's been for the most part pride it's been for the most part selfishness and so doesn't it kind of in some way stand a reason that healing is in the opposite direction Isaiah goes on as he continues to give us some insight into the culture that produces power when he says this in verse 4 but with righteousness he will judge the needy; with justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with his rod, with the rod of his mouth, with the breath of his lips. He will slay the wicked. That word there, judge. He will judge. Uh, is not talking about condemning what it's talking about there is putting things right he's going to come and put things right for the poor or the downtrodden or those who do not have power themselves what, what this is basically saying is that jesus is going to come into a powerless environment with his power and he's going to lean towards those who have no Capacity. Those who have no power, He will be the power for them. So you can choose. You can choose to kind of, you know, soup yourself up, and uh, you know, I'm big and powerful. Or you can decide, Hey, I have no power, and you can rely on His power. But, but but here's here's the question: What do we do when we have power? Because if you're here this morning and you have a job. You have power. You have, you, have, you have a source of economic power. It's called your wages. It's power. If you're here today and you're a parent, you have power. If you're here today and you're a, a, a foreman or a manager or a leader, you have power. If you're here today and you're an Australian, you have power. Here's the question, and this, is, this was so culturally abhorrent in the day when jesus came and it's almost as countercultural today maybe not quite but almost when you have power what do you use your power for most of us want more power so we can control the lives of others control the circumstances and make it better for ourselves You see, one of the reasons why the occult-ish power is on the rise in our society is because, simple, people want power to control others and circumstances to make their lives better. And unfortunately, some people almost take the power of God and ascribe it to the same outcomes. You know, somehow try to get this supernatural power to control others and make the circumstances of your life more powerful. Whereas what I see going on here is that Jesus came so that he would show what it meant to have power. Because I mean, he had, a lim- he, he had incredible power, but he used his power to, to lift up and make the lives of others better. And that's the key to power right there. The key to power is using the power that you now have not to protect your own future not to feather your own nest not to increase your own power to get more power but you leverage the power that you have and you have power you look at how I can leverage the power I have to lift up the lives of others we see just how much he identified with the poor i mean here you have the king of kings right who who has left heaven's throne and he's born where he's born in an animal stable he's surrounded by filth and dirty animals and smells this baby was born into a unhygienic situation he, he's identifying here with the the lowest of the low he's taking his incredible power and he's identifying with the powerless this is real power folks he he, he uh he's about the eight, a few days old uh eight days old and his parents taking to the temple for circumcision and and uh that was the custom there your parents made a sacrifice for you at the temple you know as you went through that that ceremony and the sacrifice of the poor was two birds because they didn't have a lot Uh, and you read the narrative through and what you find is that his parents take him to the temple on the eighth day for circumcision and they make a sacrifice of two birds because they were poor Uh, joseph didn't have a lot Uh, jesus wasn't born to the family of a politician jesus didn't come as the offspring of a a military general he comes into this poorly working class down and out home if you will and he identifies with them he identifies with the poor you know what someone could come along and look at him and say, what are you doing here you don't belong here you don't belong amongst these people you're better than they are you, you, you've got you've you, you've got greater social cachet than this group why don't you go and hang off with with, with the, the the hobnobs in rome or you know at least find the religious leaders why don't you hang with this lot these peasants you're better than this jesus but jesus understood something about power jesus understood it wasn't about leveraging uh, what i have for the benefit of myself he took what he had and he laid it down for the benefit of others See, this is real power, folks. This is where supernatural power lies. The Isaiah goes on and he writes this and he gives us some insight into that, the effect of this power on, on society. Where he says, Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together. And a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Uh, Their young will lie down together the lion will eat straw uh, like the ox the infant will play near the cobra's den and the young child will put his hand into the viper's nest (laughs) this is um this is poetry for sure but it's showing us something very very important Jesus didn't come to simply make us a slightly better man or a slightly better woman he didn't come that somehow he might make the world a better place he came to bring a better world and he came to make a better you he doesn't come to make what you are better he comes to bring a new version of you see he doesn't say here that the ox he'll make the ox be able to run fast enough that he can flee from the lion he changes the very nature of the lion that the lion will now come and eat straw with the ox He doesn't sort of put supernatural blood into the child. So if the viper bites the child, that the child doesn't die. He changes the very nature of the viper. Whereas the viper no longer wants to strike the child. The viper now plays with the child. He changes the very nature of things. See, this is the supernatural power of Christmas. The very nature of the uh, the very heart of man, the very heart of society is changed so i've put it together in a two-line little poem so you can remember this (laughs) right otherwise you'll get home and you'll be in the situation where you need power and you think oh what did he say again some verses in isaiah somewhere i like to find it where is it one of the reasons that we like to just get a passage and work through it verse by verse is so that when you get home and you can't remember what was said at least you could mark it on your bible and you can go back and read it again you go i think i think it was around this not not that just i'm going to get you, can we put it up on the screen uh, here we go power like a power will like water flow to where it is soft and where it is low Did you like that? So we're all going to say that together, all right? On the count of three, one, two, three. Power will, like water flow, to where it is soft and where it is low. We're going to say it one more time with meaning. Power will, like water flow, to where it is soft and where it is low. Thank you. (laughs) I thought that was a little kind of catchphrase that might help you remember the key to power. See, Jesus came and he made himself low. He ma- and isn't it true, whenever you're trying to get water through a hose without a pump, you've got to go from a higher place to a lower place. Because water always flows to where it is soft and where it is low. And from what I can gather, so does the power of God. If you need more power, if you need a change in the nature of your relationships, then the question is, how do I soften and how do I get lower? That's the question. See, if you need power in your workplace, the question is, how do I soften my heart and how do I get lower? Because that's where the power of God lies. That is counterculture. Because most of our society thinks power is in high and mighty. The higher I get, the more power I've got, you know, the more I can lift myself up by my bootstraps, the, 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 the more intimidating I can be. And We think that's the way for power. And we look around and we see all kinds of people trying to display their mighty power. But the problem is, the key to supernatural power is so countercultural to our very thinking. I don't know what you're basing your life on, and I don't know what you're hoping will help you face the inevitable struggles that the days and tomorrows will bring. I don't know what gives you a sense of value, a sense of worth. If it's maybe love and romance, you know, the arms of another person, maybe it's money and possessions, it's how I can fortify myself from an economic point of view. Maybe it's my achievements. And my success, I just love to tell everybody how much I've done and what I've been able to achieve. The truth is, if it's anything else, if it's any of those things, we are pushing counter-directional to the power of God. We're going the opposite way. And they will desert you along the way, and in the end, completely disappoint you. Is it any wonder Paul says in, first corinthians chapter 3 and in verse 18 just do not deceive yourself and and i would say to you this morning don't just not deceive yourself but don't let others deceive you you tune into the prophets of this age and they will tell you why your belief structure around around christianity is you know it, it makes no sense it's illogical uh, they will try to tell you that that truth is found within you and that somehow you know, you've got to lift yourself up by your own bootstraps. There is so much deception out there today that, that our society now is just settled. as This is common sense. This is, now, this is now right. Don't be deceived. If any of you think you are wise, see here it is. If any of you think you are wise by the standard of this age you should become fools so that you might become wise i'm not talking about behaving child childishly in terms of foolishness but but i but i am suggesting that the wisdom of god is diametrically opposed to the wisdom of this world and i am suggesting that the way to supernatural power is a counter- Cultural revolution within your heart where you see that real power doesn't come by lifting my voice and by, you know, uh, standing on my toes and trying to manipulate people through the forcefulness of my personality, but real power comes like water to where it is soft and where it is low who is there that you could serve your power with this Christmas how could you serve how can you serve your family how can you serve your community how can you serve your church how can you serve your place of employment see this is where real power lies power doesn't lie in the ivory tower or you know those who stand high and can look down and just you know uh kind of bark out orders if somehow everyone has to do what they say what we see at christmas is that true supernatural power edges towards the poor and hangs out with what this world would describe as the foolish. Thank you for listening to this podcast.